This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. Well, you know, some of us are pleasers and a lot of us also want to be liked. But what do we do when despite our best efforts and intention, someone just doesn't like you or maybe you just don't vibe with someone? It's not an easy situation to manage. But today, uh, Busy Gold, who's a personal development expert, is with us and she's here to offer some insight into how we can navigate this dynamic. Um, Busy's going to also explore with us how we can shift our communication style and the way we give and receive energy so that we can cultivate the relationships we want and live the life we were meant to live. Busy Gold, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you with me today. Good to be here. Yeah. So there's so much that you do with clients. I'm, I'm excited to get into this, but you know, I, I work and do a lot of counseling as well. And I always feel like people that are such big pleasers are trying to buy people's love or win people's love over or, you know, somehow try to be like to, to feel worthy. What do you, what can you say about that? Or do you, do you see this often with your, with your clients? So a lot of the work I do helps people effectively isolate the behaviors that are getting them in trouble in the present or making them Uh experience some level of pain or discomfort so that we can see what childhood patterning actually started that faulty belief that you're constantly seeking out stimuli in your environment to replay that over and over again. So we find often that people that have that people-pleasing mentality were often disciplined in some way that wasn't intellectual into some level of conformity. That can be cultural, geographical, or religious, but there's usually some aspect in childhood of what I refer to as discipline gone wrong. Um, where despite what the parents were trying to relay to the child, the child actually learned the opposite message and instead learned to shut off their identity and become a people pleaser or a chameleon. Yeah. But don't you think some of it is emotional, too? Like I I was a pleaser my whole life, but my parents never disciplined me in any negative ways. But I was always trying to, you know, they first of all, didn't like any negative emotions. So anytime I'd cry or get upset, it was like, oh, you need an ice cream. What do you want? You know, how how can we make this pain go away? Almost type of thing. Yeah, they were always always trying to satiate it. Yeah, so exactly. I think there's a difference between people pleasing, which to me would come more from altering your words or your thoughts to match what you think somebody wants you to conform to versus external validation, which I think is also can be labeled as people pleasing, but more like Mm -hmm. just wanting people to like you and accept you. I think those come from two different places. One is definitely this like kind of disciplined. If you're not X, Y, Z, then, you know, you're going to somehow be ostracized for the family or Mm -hmm. punished in some way versus the other. I mean, I, I'm assuming you, are you Jewish? I grew up Jewish in New York. So I'm, my parents were very big on like the more intellectual punishments. Not that I was ever punished, but more the like, you know, disapproval and, you know, go think about what you did and then talk to me about how you're going to do it differently the next time, as opposed to like, you know, I've had plenty of clients that it's, you know, they even have a hard time when I say, were you ever disciplined as a child? They're like, no, nothing abnormal. I'm like, all right, well, let's let's dig deeper on what you think abnormal means. Because Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, especially generationally, they might be, you know, getting marched out to the backyard to pick a switch and beaten with the switch is perfectly normal. But right, right. you or I, that might be like completely horrifying. Um, of course. 
So I definitely received the intellectual punishment, which I actually think still helps you forge a really strong, solid identity because you don't necessarily fear the intellectual punishments, right? So you're still willing to assert your free will and Mm -hmm. roll the dice, basically, because you're not actually in physical danger versus Mm -hmm. when there's some sort of physical discipline involved, you start to shut down your identity because every time your identity wants to assert itself, it actually fears some sort of physical stimuli. Right. Versus it's like what yeah. you're explaining, you you want to please. You want, you know, you like when your parents give you love and affection, so you want more of that. It's it's almost right. the opposite. So right. often you end up walking a path where you just want to keep getting more and more validation for how great you are because it, you got so much of it from your parents. You're trying to continue on a, a similar right. path. Absolutely. Well, I'm so happy that you identified the differences between those two because I I, I definitely think you know, a lot of the majority of people, if I, you know, say to a group of 35 people, raise your hand if you think you've been a people pleaser, you're seeking, you know, validation from someone else and everyone's hands go up. So I think in some way, everybody relates to this to some degree. So yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Especially I think, you know, maybe not everybody does in their everyday life, but there's, you know, everyone has an aspect, whether it's in their physical, their intimate relationships or in their career, where some of this really starts to rear its ugly head in a way that is maybe not characteristic of their everyday life at home. Absolutely. And I think with work too, I mean, I, I know a lot of in, in my personal life, people that do struggle with, um, you know, we don't choose the people we work with. It's not a choice. Um, and so a lot of the times there is this kind of conflict or a difference of personality or opinion or egos and, and these things get involved, which really do impact uh, you know, someone's day to day because they've spent so much time at work and they have so much interaction with these people. So, um, you know, is there a way in which we, I mean, obviously we have control over how we react and how we communicate, but what if that other person is, is literally has no insight and, and really does, you know, is abusive in a way or is mentally or verbally, or, you know, if people are dealing with that either at home or at work, how do we navigate I that? Think that's, a, that's a great question. And it's something that comes up a lot in the work that I do. And I can give a a couple of examples, but I would say first and foremost, remember that how you've been patterned as a child effectively puts on a set of glasses with which you're Mm -hmm. now perceiving your entire environment. So you might perceive your environment at work very differently than I would versus somebody else that grew up in a completely different cultural background. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're predisposed to start to put effectively childhood characters into the roles in our workspace. So we might notice, for instance, that somebody has, and we might not notice this, of course, consciously, but subconsciously, a person tends to take the same tone of voice with us that a, a parent did or a teacher right. did or somebody that somehow wronged them. So we might be us. more inclined to read to read in or assume certain things about our communication with that person that might not objectively be true if we were to hit what I call the God replay, you know, like everyone stop, let's roll back the tape. But in the moment mm-hmm. it felt really real and you felt justified in how you wanted to emotionally respond to that. So right. I think getting a clear grip on what I call it the cast of characters were from mm. your childhood. You know, I know a lot of people's work will kind of distill it down to archetypes. I usually try to distill it down to, if you can say like, these were the top five most influential relationships in my childhood, let's say like ages zero to 13. Right. And you pick those top five relationships and you get very clear on what were the common areas of conflict in these relationships, topically Mm -hmm. speaking, like, was it about not being heard or was it about some sort of like survival, you know, like finances or feeling safe in the home? 
So if you mm-hmm. can kind of distill what these common areas of conflict were with each of these five people and then how each of these people made you feel about yourself, you yeah. can start to maybe take that information and almost like place it onto your work environment and say, how might I be accidentally reading into some of these people and putting mm-hmm. them in the same cast of characters? Because I think right. at that point, once you start to see like, okay, I really am, my boss is probably not a nice person, but I, I might be adding a bit of extra sauce onto this by right. also not acknowledging that they also have a very similar, very strong similarity to my dad. Yeah, um, so I think kind of doing, taking that step back and looking at that framework objectively can take some of the emotional fuel out of the fire mm-hmm. while then also, and I, I love what you said that, you know, we can, we have to be able to control our own responses. One of the first things I say in my work is that the only thing we can control with 100% accuracy is how we choose to respond. Absolutely. So despite our best, we can't ever control anybody else's response. We can try to manipulate them into a response. We can try to offer them a different set of stimuli to respond to us differently. But right. we have to not be so attached. And this comes back to the personality thing we're talking about. We have to not be so attached to their reaction or word choice or body language meaning something about us. It might just mean everything about them. Right. Absolutely. Well, most of the time it is, it, it, you know, a lot of people do project their own insecurities and their own stuff onto us. Um, but at the same time, too, I think it's it's a matter of, of understanding maybe where the triggers do come from. Like you said, if someone raises their tone of voice from you, it may trigger like some kind of, tra- you know, trauma in the house or you had a parent who was very much a rage, a rager or, you know, so all these things, I definitely think do help us make more sense of why we're feeling what we're feeling. And also I've been at least trying this myself is to look at it with more curiosity instead of resistance of like, why is this person treating me this way? And, you know, like you said, all the personalizing versus like, huh, this is strange the way I am reacting. How curious, like, I wonder what this is trying to teach me. And I think once we shift kind of, you know, put us, put ourselves out of like the pity party of like, why me? And why did I wind up with this boss? And how come I'm, you know, me, 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 me versus like, huh, this person, interesting. I wonder why this person has crossed my path. What can I learn from them? I think that and helps also sometimes. start to take a little bit of personal responsibility too. Cause, and this mm-hmm. is something that I get all the time in my work where people, what's well, the example of an intimate relationship break? Cause I think people yeah. have more yes, tangible experience of this. Cause not everybody is yeah. in the workforce and has had that relationship right. with a boss. So a lot of people come to work with me and they basically, I think in their head, they have it already made up that they're just coming to me to get clear on getting divorced, right? And they show up, they do all the work, and then they realize partway through, holy crap, I actually see now my role in this interaction and how it's maybe not that I need to get divorced. I'm actually partially responsible for these, these issues in our communication or our body language. So they actually start to take some responsibility for learning how to shift with their partner instead of just walking away from the marriage. So I refer to this in my work as symbiotic dysfunction, where, you know, everything's going to have some sort of equal opposite. And as much as you go, maybe don't like your relationship with your boss and you always feel like they're judging you or like you're always doing something wrong, on the flip side of that, you might be also emotionally addicted to feeling like a failure. So you might be actually setting yourself up to be maybe thinking so hard about what your boss is going to do to you that you're not even listening to the directions anymore, which is right. just fulfilling the prophecy because you're right. not being mentally present because you're so worried about what's going to happen in the future. So exactly. I think this symbiotic dysfunction piece, when people can step back and say, okay, this is clearly what I'm seeking out. And these are the behaviors that get me back here. 
mm-hmm. can I change some of these behaviors so maybe I can be more present when my boss talks to me? Mm-hmm. You might see that mm-hmm. that relationship shifts very quickly. Absolutely. But that takes so that takes so much awareness on the person's part. Brilliant what you said, because I I talk a lot about this, too. I mean, I I say more, you know, different words, but you're like you're loyal to your your anxiety or you're loyal to your depression. You're loyal to your negative self-talk, which is the same thing as Mm -hmm. what you're saying is you're emotionally addictive. You know, it, it is. And it's and I and I think, you know, it's so deep rooted when somebody is kind of addicted to their you know, again, the prophecy of like, I'm, I'm not good enough, or I'll never be worthy of someone really liking me, or who knows what, you know, there's so many different, I think, core, core injury ish type things that go on. Um, But especially when it comes to, you know, seeing yourself or or seeing what's what we are part in relationships, it's really, I think, hard for people to see that, that it's it's self sabotaging. It's like, why am I continuing to make myself suffer? But it's familiar. It's so familiar that we stay in the familiar, even when it doesn't serve us, which is, you know, something else to point out to people. (laughs) And I think people forget that self-sabotage really happens on a subconscious level. So if you can start to look at the pattern of all of the pain points that you've experienced, let's say over the last five years, you can Mm -hmm. start to extrapolate common themes that led you to those pain points. You can start to see what mechanisms or internal thought processes are actually leading you down that path because you've I feel like you've got to connect the dots before you can even start to hone in on when that behavior is kicking in because people are not often conscious of it. They have Mm -hmm. to experience the pain to even start to look backwards and say, what the heck did I do? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's, it's really important, I think, for every human being to do. Yeah. Because we live in a world right now, especially with how just charged everything is like socially, politically, People are going to take those same childhood wounds or what you call like core injuries. And Mm -hmm. that set of glasses is going to influence how they're even perceiving the world around them. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that I'm really passionate about. You can't, you can't objectively see the world and even be of the world until I feel like you really started to get clear on who you are and where your core wounds are and done some deep self-exploration. I think it's like of all the things that human beings should do in the world, above and yeah. beyond like college and career. It's like, get to know yourself. <laughs> you know, I agree. I agree. I, I can tell everybody, you, not, you and I are kindred spirits. Every time you talk, I'm like, yep, yep. She gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I felt the same way with you. Exactly. I'm like, oh, someone speaks the language. Finally, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, I mean, it's yeah. not hard, but it's, it's interesting. Cause a lot of, I think a lot of people walking around out there and, you know, I, I teach a lot around recovery. And so I'm always, I'm, I'm pointing out these narratives from a place of, you know, why am I killing myself and why am I in this hopeless cycle and the relapsing and all these kinds of things. But, you know, what you said, too, um, I'm writing a book that will be published next November. It's for everybody because the response I got from my first book, which was just for recovery, was, oh, I need this, too. I don't have an addiction, but I want to understand my narratives and I I have to work on communication and I really, I really want to understand how to have self care. And so that's why I was like, Oh, it's not even just, you know, this, you know, particular group of people, it's everyone in the world would, would, you know, have such greater lives if they could just explore this kind of, you know, the thought habits is what I, what I always call it. Um, but totally yeah, agree. Thank God there's someone like you out there that is doing this. So that's great. That's amazing. Feel the same about you. Thank you for listening to Rewired Radio. And now a word from our wonderful sponsors, Professional Revenue Recovery Services. With the ever-changing landscape of private insurance reimbursement, 
the challenges of maintaining the health of your revenue cycle may seem insurmountable. From complicated billing and clinical guidelines to changing fee structures and more, today's behavioral health providers need an ally to help optimize the revenue cycle and ensure the stability and security of the revenue so that they can focus on providing quality care for their clients. My sponsor, PRRS, is a full-service revenue cycle management company that specializes in serving the behavioral health community. They offer traditional billing and collection services as well as utilization management, verification of benefits, training, and consultation. Additionally, they offer transitional and support services for facilities looking to self-manage their own revenue cycle. For more information on Professional Revenue Recovery Solutions, PRRS, go to www.prrsinc.com or to speak to a revenue management expert, you can call them at 1-888-405-3118. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm here. I'm here to tell everyone about what you're doing. So, I mean, let alone, you know, obviously you're helping everybody understand um, themselves and create such such deeper awareness. Um, tell us a little bit about everything that's going on with you right now. I know you have thebreakmethod.com. Break method is, it, it sounds amazing. I was looking on the website and it sounds like you explore so many pieces of people's lives. Can you tell us a little bit about that or what's going on with you right now? Absolutely. So break method, I think, and I'm sure you will feel me when I talk about this. I spent such a long time helping people one-on-one and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you're operating with a, you know, huge brain and a big tool set to help people. But I kept bumping up against this thing where I wanted to, I wanted to teach people how to do what I did for them so that yes. they could continue that process on for themselves. That's because what it, I did too. it got to mm-hmm. a point where I didn't want to just say, okay, these are the things that are going to change your life. And then they, you know, come back and they'd be like, holy crap, my life is completely different. How did you mm-hmm. do it? So after enough instances of that, I decided to come up with a program that not only did all the things that I was doing, but taught them in a kind of deep lecture series how I was Mm -hmm. doing it while also having them prove proficiency in what I was teaching them. Because in Mm -hmm. order for this to be sustainable, they have to understand how and why you're connecting the dots the way that you are. So it's an online program that the lecture content takes about three months, but we give you access to the program for four months to help you uncover your patterns of emotional addiction and see how they're tied to all of your present behavior, but also how you're potentially harming yourself with future endeavors. Because a lot of these patterns, as you know, also influence the way you're even looking into your future, setting goals. You set yourself up for failure, just like we're talking about with the, you know, fulfilling self-fulfilling prophecy in the workplace. So this is a program that I've, I've made available in a way that people that are not necessarily academically inclined don't mm-hmm. need to feel afraid. When I, I know when I say the word lecture, a lot of people are like, oh, that sounds, right. that sounds <laughs> like it might be too academic for me. But I do yeah. my best to really distill everything down and teach every concept in a variety of ways that honestly has resonated. I've, I just got hired by the state of Tennessee Women in Transition Program to build out a program for their women in transition mm-hmm. from homelessness. Oh, um, amazing. I'm doing a lecture series for the Arizona Department of Education for their teachers. And, you know, I think teachers get really undervalued in our education mm-hmm. system and to try to help yeah. them level themselves up so they can show up differently for kids. That's so amazing. I think I've found a way to distill down this program so that people from all walks of life and all education levels can actually mm-hmm. assimilate this knowledge for themselves 
and have some really actionable tools leaving the program uh, so that they can change their lives. So that I wouldn't want anybody to to leave and want to come back to me for anything other than a high five. So I have that program and I do some two-day mini workshops, which are usually more for people that if they're not sure they're going to be able to handle the content or if it's not for them or they're not sure if it's for them, I should say, they come to the Mm -hmm. two-day workshop and then most often they continue on to the online course. And then my book comes out actually in the fall. So I wanted to have something that was available at a lesser price point so that everyone can have accessibility to what I'm, I'm trying to help uncover. And by the way, one of the things I talk about all the time is that just like with any great invention, there are always multiple minds, in my opinion, kind of channeling similar content to help people in different places. And I always say that if it's not my program, please do somebody else's. But to me, the most yeah. important thing is prioritizing self-inquiry because it will change the way you live your life. So absolutely, that's absolutely. where I stand on that. Um, I do. That's that's it. That's the that is the message of of all of all of the shows I've ever done or all the podcasts I've ever done that that is it you know at least there's these platforms though for people to really you know if if you don't live in the city that you're in or you know that's what's the beauty of technology even though like you know there's the good the bad and the ugly of that there is there is these channels in which we can receive the information and educate ourselves so yeah everybody goes it creates a lot more accessibility oh totally so if they go to breakmethod.com um, breakmethod.com or you can mm-hmm. head to busygold.com which just kind of gives an overview of my travel schedule because sometimes I also am a serial entrepreneur I own a bunch of businesses so mm-hmm. sometimes I'm doing visiting lectures or speaking topics that have more to do with disruptive business tactics but mm-hmm. overall my my passion in wheelhouse is definitely the self-inquiry and emotional addiction area that's amazing. And you mentioned that you've done, I mean, I know I could tell you've already done the work yourself and you continue to do the work. And so isn't that true? Yeah, it's, a work, least, it's always a work in progress. So, I know. Sure. I know. And I want people to hear that too today. And I say that, you know, very, very openly with my, you know, with, with my clients as well. And, and everywhere I teach is that, you know, this is, again, it's my honor to walk the walk and and really keep on pushing for evolution and pushing for inspiration from others like you and you know because i think if everyone just connects and we can all kind of echo the same kind of messages it really can change like the consciousness out there you know like the totally universal agree. consciousness in a way so that's why it's it's worth it for all of us to change and learn because then we're like these pillars that light the way for others which you know you do and and so many of us that change our lives we we start giving others a chance and hope to do the same. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I, I think there's never such thing as having arrived. I think it's, it's a constant process of evolution because as soon as you start to work through something, a new layer uncovers and there's always more work to be done. And that's what I think it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why I kind of in just named my program, the school of sustainable self mastery Because when you get there, you realize that sustainable self-mastery means that you've never arrived, that it's always a process that will continue on. Yeah, absolutely. And I love sustainable because it does, people want sustainable solutions. They don't want just, you know, like quick fixes don't really, they don't work forever. They just, they're, you know, short-lived. Yeah. Yeah. You need an educational tool set or framework that you can come back to whenever you, whenever you need, because no matter how much you change your life in the moment, God or the universe or whatever it is always has something yeah. else to start in the future that could go wrong. And I think it's more important to learn how to react with a positive outcome during the stressful event than yeah. to just try to 
you know, focus on just making your life today great. I think right. being able to re- respond to your environment in the future is really important. It is. And that's why, you know, to, to work with someone like you that provides tools, like we need the tools. Cause like you said, we could get through one thing and then boom, life, you know, keeps going. And there's another thing that gets thrown at you a couple of years later. And, and to have the resource of those tools sitting there, it, it, it helps us feel more in control and it helps us feel actually more free most of the time when we, you know, feel free within ourselves that we're not trapped to these things. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been like the greatest pleasure. And I really hope we, we stay connected. Um, everybody. Yes, I would to, love to. Yeah. So the best way is for everyone to go to busygold.com, breakmethod.com. Busygold.com or breakmethod.com. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank and then you we so do much. have a, we try yeah. to keep things light and funny on our Instagram account for break method. We kind of tell the story of emotional distance through funny memes. So if you need, oh, cool. if you need some poignant laughs, you can head yeah. to at break method. Oh, awesome. I will be following you today. That's awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so thank much. You, You're listening to rewired radio on radio MD. I'm Erica Spiegelman. Thank you all for joining me today and stay well.